Um, I love the... I love this season, but I also love even that we don't do this all the time, by the way, if you're newer here. I know it's the introvert's nightmare, so we won't do it all the time, but especially during this season, I love just hearing the roar in here of, of folks greeting one another. So my name is Buddy Lyles. It's a privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. Just want to add my word of greeting to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, who we just sang about was born in a manger, um, but he also was born even the way he was dressed in his... Um, in his birth, was signified why he came, um, because he came to die for us. He was, he was wrapped in cloths that were swaddling cloths, but those were also used when someone died to wrap them. And so even in that, I'm sorry to start on a morbid note, except for it's a, it's a good news note, because because of that, we can have a relationship with him. And this isn't just silly. Um, this actually has great substance and meaning that we would gather to consider and contemplate him. I'm going to pray so we can transition uh, into the word uh, of God, but also just to help my own heart um, as I seek to be faithful um, to encourage you through his word. Lord, uh, we are grateful again for this season. Uh, I pray, Father, where we have glazed over, uh, where there is a franticness about us, so we barely give you attention, or there's just a familiarity with the story, Lord. Both of those can, can be hindrances and hurdles for us to pay attention to, um, as we will sing at the end, to hark what the herald angels have sung, or to hark what is in um, your word today. So cause us to have ears to hear, cause us to have hearts that are receptive And, Lord, that your spirit would illumine our hearts and minds to see and understand, but also would embolden and equip us um, to not just have receptive hearts, but ready hands and feet so that you might be on display through our lives. It would be your grace and your mercy that are winsome to any and all that we are around this coming week. So we pray that worship won't just happen now, but it will happen as we leave so that your name would be beautiful through the body of Christ, being the body of Christ where you locate us. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we begin our Christmas series today. You can still up the first slide there, Connor. Um, Our Christmas series that we're calling Met in Thee Tonight. Um, Some of you, that just sounds weird. And then some of you like, I know exactly where that comes from. Um, we're borrowing that phrase, met in thee tonight, from the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Um, the thee in the song, we don't use the word thee um, much, but the thee in the song is actually referring to Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. But in this series, we're going to use met in thee with a double meaning. We'll contemplate the promised place of Messiah's birth, and more importantly, the person born there. Jesus, God in the flesh, come to save us from our sin and to bring light and life, or as we've just talked about, hope and peace to all who would receive him. The one to whom we can say the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee, meaning him, on that night and every night since. In this series, we will celebrate Jesus' birth, but first today we're going to look at, you can throw the next slide up there, we're going to look at the birth before the birth. 
um, as we enter the birth story of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. You can go ahead and start getting there. John is the promised forerunner of Jesus, um, promised in Malachi in the Old Testament, and actually the last few words of Malachi really become the script of John's life. We'll see that toward the end, that uh, prophecy about the one who would come before the one, the one who would be born before the one born um, as Messiah. It would be John. And so Malachi 4 is really the script, if you will, for John's purposed life. I mention that because John will be the introducer to the light of the world. We'll see that at the end of our passage in Luke. But this, um, what's going to, the scene we're going to enter today, the story we're going to um, dive into is after 400 years of silence. I mentioned Malachi. That's, that's the last word they got. There were no more written promises from God. There were no prophets in business. I think they all, you know, decided to go and be entrepreneurs and other things. For a while, there were 400 years of silence. And God is going to show up to announce to a not well-known country priest named Zacharias that he's about to turn on the lights in the midst of discouraging and dark days. He's about to break his silence. If they were wondering, where are you, God? Do you care, God, anymore? We say the hopes and fears of all these are met in you tonight. The hopes had been on the diminishing decline and the fears had been rising, and we're going to see that. Luke wants us, he's careful to give us the history and the cultural moment, the dark moment that this message came into. It wasn't just silence, but also in the midst of uh, paranoia and violence that this announcement will come. So join me in Luke 1, and if you're there, Luke 1, beginning in verse 5, uh, I'm not going to make you stand, although I could, but I'm, we're going to read a long, long, we're going to do something we don't do in our culture. We have a less than six second attention span. We can't sit still. We can't look at even a TV show for five seconds. We're going to read a large chunk of scripture right now. I know you're really excited. Luke 1, we're going to begin in verse 5. It'll be 5 through 25, then we're going to skip over to verse 57, and I'll let you know when we're there. Listen to God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, 
For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm a man, I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Skip over to verse 57. We're nine months later. Now at the time, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called, as what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow. This is speaking of John. The child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Long passage. But I wanted you to hear the whole story. 
I wanted you to hear the announcement, God breaking his silence, and we're going to see that silence. You can go to the next slide there. His, God breaking his silence actually ended up in Zacharias's silence for nine months and change because he didn't believe what was announced to him. He didn't believe the announcement to his old self and his, wife, his old wife that they would bear a son and then to talk of the promise and purpose of this son. Zacharias was dumbfounded, and he had a moment of lapse of faith. And it went from God breaking his silence and choosing to do so in this intense and intimate moment with Zacharias. And it left Zacharias then silent because of his response. Well, first I want you to see in announcing the birth before the birth. Um, again, I said Luke, he, he tells us in 1 through 4 that he did a very thorough search. He, he talked to eyewitnesses. He did a very uh, careful investigation, and he compiled an orderly account, Theophilus, so that you might know for certain the things you've been taught. He wants to reassure a Gentile believer, no, you're not on the outside. God surprised his people and the outsiders by going to the outsiders. That's what Luke's gospel is about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. But in part of that orderly account, he wants us to know the time in history where we are. Look at verse 5. It's in the days of Herod. Um, it, it would be like, you know, back in the day, gangster, in the days of Al Capone. It would be in the days of Hitler. Name whoever you think of that is unpredictable, malicious, capricious. Capricious means you can never know what they're going to do, but it's usually scary. And Luke, there you go. And Luke would say, these are dark times. Herod was the epitome of the easily triggered Near Eastern king. His throb was to remove all threats that he was constantly seeing, whether they were real or not, to remove all threats by manipulation or even murder, including his own sons and wives. It was said of Herod in his day, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Why? Because the pig has less chance of becoming bacon than the son being murdered. Luke is not wasting his words. In the days of Herod... Herod, who was in league with Rome, who was sort of a half-breed, and the Jewish people were under the Roman thumb, but they were also under this unpredictable, constantly jealous, violent person. And they're being reminded of they're in dark days, but also we haven't heard from God in 400 years. And we think of Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, the times are now full. The times are now ripe. When they would have thought there's never going to be fruit on the tree, there's never going to be corn in the fields, now the times are ripe. In the fullness of time, when it was the right time, in God's timetable, he sent forth his son, and he's going to first, before his son is born, announce to Zacharias in a very private time, in a very unexpected place, the birth before the birth of that one who is to come. 
He also does not only amidst this deep darkness culturally, but in the shadowy and sad personal situation of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are childless. Their hopes of all their years of having a child have now become fears that they are too old. And I would say beyond fears, it's just we just got to accept the reality. Yet God breaks his silence to them with an unexpected announcement of John's birth. I want you to notice they are childless, yes, but Luke wants us to know, though they would have thought you're childless because God's dealing with you in your sin, he says, no, no, they're blameless and childless. You look back in verses 6 and 7. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child. They were childless, yes, but they were blameless. Don't put it on them that they were wayward and God was punishing them. No, they were blameless, though childless. Also, Luke is letting us know that because their priestly lineage was an honor but also their godly character, both the lineage and the character, strengthen the pedigree of John the Baptist. They are blameless, though childless. What is their problem? What's their deep pain? It's that she is barren. And I want to say this. Infertility always aches in their day and ours. And God aches with our aches, with your aches. We, we do need to understand that in those days, barrenness brought not only that inner ache, but outward community shame. Often viewed by Jews, I said, as punishment for sin. But again, Luke is very careful to say, no, their barrenness was not re- the result of a judgment for sin. They're upright, blameless, righteous in God's sight. Now we come to Zacharias's once-in-a-lifetime moment. I said he's a not-well-known country priest. Um, there would have been about eighteen to 20,000 priests at this time uh, who would come from all over. They were divided in about 24 divisions, and your order would have about a two-week-long shift per year. That's a lot of priests. Uh, they didn't have a um, worker supply shortage. They had too many. And what happened it was their time, and they would cast lots, but think roll dice, if you will, And one priest would be chosen to offer incense with the whole burnt offering in the temple. The incense was offered twice a day, morning and evening, and the incense symbolizes intercession or prayer to God on behalf of his people. And it was offered with prayer that God would fulfill his covenant promises and deliver and redeem his people. So the people that are gathered outside and they're praying and they're waiting, they're the very few really that have not just extinguished all hope. 400 years of silence will do that to you. For some of us, four days of silence will do that to us. But that's what's happening. The scene, it happened every day. And these people, the faithful ones, would come and pray outside while the priest would enter. And they, as they're praying, they wait for the priest to emerge and then bless them with the Aaronic blessing from number six. But Zechariah, uh, he was chosen by lot. This is his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because you would have only gotten this, if it ever fell to you, only once in a lifetime. I want you to hear that because 
Like in the book of Ruth, Luke throws in, now it happened. In the book of Ruth, you see, well, it just so happened that, you know, they passed by the field of Boaz. Like, they, like no, what he's wanting to say is, it looks to us like this is random chance. No, it's not. It's providence that God in this moment in the fullness of time came when it was the time for Zacharias's time to do this one privileged thing. And now we're going to roll, we're going to turn the lights on. Well, why was he afraid? Well, Jews believe that the right side of the altar of incense was reserved for God and the left side was reserved for Gabriel. So Zacharias knew God had told, uh, told Moses, no one can see God and live, and he could feel the life drain out of him <laughs> as he doesn't know what, what or who this being is at the right side of the altar, and he's flooded with fear. And what does he say? He says, your prayer has been heard. Now, more, li- more than likely, this is the prayer that faithful priests would have made on behalf of the nation for God to fulfill his covenant promises and redeem and rescue their nation. And God, and Gabriel saying, God has heard and is now responding. Yet with tenderness, God is also answering that, that prayer by answering the often prayed ache of Zacharias and Elizabeth to have a child. Now, I do believe that he is not just meaning, hey, that prayer for your child, I thought I'd take this moment. No, this is actually both because he says, um, he is an- going to answer your prayer and you will have a son. And God does that beautifully. He, he shows up in unexpected places at just the right time, though we wouldn't have seen it coming, with people that we would never think that he would want to use or encourage or put in a certain place to serve him to bring forth his continued fulfillment of what he promised to do. He says, your wife will bear a son. And his name will be John, which means the Lord is gracious or grace. Well, what's the promise of John's significant ministry? 14 to 17, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have joy and gladness. Many people are going to rejoice at his birth. John will be great in the sight of the Lord, which is the only measurement that matters. Not the eyes of men. He will be a forerunner with an Elijah-like ministry where there's going to be that almost combative, confrontative ministry he's going to have. He's going to call the nation to repent, just like Elijah. He's going to call them, which is what a prophet mostly did. It wasn't future-telling, but foretelling. We need to return to the God who is faithful because we've been unfaithful. So he's going to have that kind of ministry. And he says God's going to reconcile his children to him, and the result is always then reconciled relationships in the home, fathers to children, children to fathers. The gospel always works that way. Regenerated, reconciled people reconcile in their relationships starting at home. So how does Zacharias respond? Verse 18, how will I know this for certain? Now, um, we're going to look at in a, a couple weeks or next week, Actually, Mary responding very similarly. It always confuses me and, and sort of irritates me that Zacharias gets the bad rap and Mary gets the thumbs up. Does that bother you? There's a reason. I think there's more that God knows the heart and all of that. But I think particularly 
what Gabriel is saying is you're having a lapse in belief. And, and Mary is more in wonder, like, how can this be? And he's saying, how in the world can this be? I am advanced in age. I love that Gabriel uses his I am. He says, well, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent by God. That's how. But with this lapse in belief, I mean, let's just put ourselves in. I mean, I'd be there. He knows biology and anatomy. He disbelieves what Gabriel tells him. He says, I'm stricken with years. We are too old, Gabriel. How can I know this for certain? So he says, I'm going to give you two signs. The first is you're going to be speechless, most likely mute and deaf. In this, the next section we look at, it says that they were having, making signs to him as to what the question was about what's the name going to be. The second sign is that Elizabeth will become pregnant and will give birth to a son. Until then, till that birth, you won't be able to talk. So Zacharias has a lapse in belief, and at that moment, God meets him with discipling grace. Why do I say that? Well, he's not punishing him. He, he's instructing and coaching him. He's saying, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you some difficulty as part of my training to keep growing your belief. And I just want to share that because that's for all of us. We are all going to have lapses in belief. We're all going to have times when, like the Father, I believe, help my unbelief. It's one of my, the things I pray, pray almost daily. And so God brings this discipling or disciplining grace upon him so that ultimately it would bear a maturity and a fruit in Zacharias' own life. So he goes home, Elizabeth conceives, and look at her response in verse 25. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. I don't know if you've been there or not. Perhaps for, you, for some of you, your story of when you came to know the Lord personally was this. Wow. Like, I feel like I was sitting in that room with 400 people listening to the preacher, but I felt like God was talking right to me. Or I thought I was the only one who me and my husband had struggled with miscarriage. And then in this life group, this couple shared, and I felt like God was speaking right to me, his comfort. His mercy, his grace. She says, he's looked upon me with favor to take away my disgrace. So I want to make a couple of quick catch this, and then let's move to the next section. First, I want you to see through this and be encouraged by this, that God is at work even when we don't recognize or hold on to hope that he is working. 400 years of silence, he breaks it. And now his, his continued faithfulness to his covenant promises is moving forward. Zacharias, if I'm him, if you are, here's a question to think about. What if God answers your prayers? And what if he answers your prayers? One is, I, I would have trouble believing. But here's the other part of that. What are the prayers that you're praying? Because God is faithful to his promises, 
And then he's also faithful to us when we come to him in our times of need for grace and mercy, Hebrews says. But what are you praying for? Zacharias, yes, no doubt. He and Elizabeth ached and agonized in prayer to God. God, we want a child. We don't think this is out of bounds, God. That's, that's their prayer personally. But Zacharias, we're told they were blameless and upright. They also prayed for the consolation, for God's consolation, for God's follow-through on his promises to his people Israel. This is in some way, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on our patches of earth as it is in heaven. What are you praying? Because God does answer prayer. God is faithful and God is at work in some of the darkest moments, whether it's societal darkness or personal deep disappointment and pain. He is at work and he does faithfully stick to his word and he's looking for us to take him at his word. He's looking for us to seek him when he might be found. And then the last one I just mentioned about the discipling grace. His discipling grace to Zacharias and us and believers, it's not punishment. It's short-term discipline for long-term development. Now, we're not going to have as much time to traffic through the next section, but hop over with me, sneak a peek at verse 57. We're nine months later. Zacharias has been mute and unable to speak, again, likely deaf as well, for all of this time. And now we will see John born, and the people respond to God's mercy with joy and worship and wonder. Verse 57, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Unbelievable. I mean, Zacharias said it was unbelievable, and he said, okay, well, you're going to be silent, and your wife will conceive. And then I just imagine, because especially back then, we didn't have sonograms. Like, just imagine that for them as a couple. I mean, him coming home and sharing that with her, and she's both elated, and she's ex- exercising faith and expressing it. But, you know, you don't, you don't show for a while. So could there have been ups and downs, and I don't know, and maybe I'm, you know, silly to believe in this and whatever. And now they're rejoicing. They're erupting in joy at God's mercy to them. I want to quickly walk through this, make two observations to help us walk quicker. Two observations that I believe Luke writes to stir our hearts to respond to God, the God who shows his mercy in song and, and also in service. First, I want you to notice verse 58. If you're not afraid to write in your Bible, I would tell you to circle verse 58, verse 72, and verse 78, the word mercy. Hopefully your translation says that. But verse 58, the Lord had displayed his great mercy. It's add mega to the front of mercy. And it's God's mercy made large. He didn't just kind of give them a daily dose of mercy. He gave them mercy made large in this moment. This is life altering for them as a couple. This is life altering for John himself. And this is people offering for the rest of time because God's mercy made large in this moment is rolling forward. Verse 72, to show mercy toward our fathers, speaking of the Jewish fathers, their, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to remember his holy covenant. Verse 78, 
because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. The sunrise on high is a poetic way of, and also referring back to Malachi, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the Messiah who was to come, he would be like a sunrise. God's mercy dawning on us. Keep that in mind when we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Risen with healing in his wings, the sunrise is God's mercy displayed. So mercy made large is kind of this first section. John, uh, there's joy in the God who makes his uh, mercy large in the birth of John to bear in Elizabeth. They wonder at his birth. Now we come to a confusing moment and maybe uh, whispers of scandal in the background. We don't know exactly, but it came, happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. For them, um, you would circumcise a male child on the eighth day. You also see this in Luke 2, fulfilling the requirement for Jesus that has happened. And that became the time when they would name their sons. And so they all come, they're ready to celebrate. They can't believe Elizabeth has been barren and God's given her a child and now it's a son. So the family name will go on. We are pumped. We got the best food waiting at home when we're done with this, you know, circumcision. And the name is going to happen. And, uh, they're going to, they, the community was going to call him Zacharias Jr. Because that's what you do. Or Bar Zacharias or Ben Zacharias, son of Zacharias. But no, it's John. Well, that was scandalous to their ears. Notice they say, uh, there's nobody in your family by that name. Now, I'm not, we're not supposed to go down rabbit trails of, well, was, you know, they think about Elizabeth in this way, whatever. No, they are just like, what? There's nobody in your family by that name. And they get a tablet, and he writes. This is the precursor to the Surface or the iPad. Um, John, his name will be John. And so now they're triple flabbergasted. But this is when now God looses Zacharias' tongue. And he erupts in praise, and then in later, but whether with tongue or pen, this um, Zacharias' prophecy, it's an, it's an eruption of song about this son. And as I've put on there, um, you can go to the next slide. It's, that end part is when God's mercy is made large, it births in Zacharias this final song before the sunrise about John, who's the introducer to the light of the world. And they're, they're filled with wonder. They're like, we can certainly tell that the hand of the Lord, verse um, 66, they say, what then will this child turn out to be? There's wonder, there's anticipation. God is turning the lights on. God has spoken and it has come true nine months after Zacharias. It happened with Zacharias. We know that God said it. Now something marvelous is rolling forward. We don't really know, but man, we are filled with wonder and anticipation and they say, the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So that's God's mercy made large in his birth. Then, Zacharias, we have God's mercy revisited. We're not going to traffic through it. But Zacharias praises God for keeping his promises to David, Abraham, himself, the birth of John, and the people through the prophet Malachi. Messiah will be a strong liberator, but not through a bloody war, like some of the things he's referring to, but through a bloody body on a cross. And so he is 
revisiting those promises and says God has remembered them and he's now acting. And then I want you to notice this. We'll come back to it. Verse 74, his mercy showing up and revisiting it grants us being rescued from our enemies. We're not just saved, we're saved to serve. We as New Testament believers can look at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, His mercy and grace. But because of that, because we've been redeemed, because we have been saved by His grace through faith, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that He prepared long beforehand that we should walk in them. Because of His mercy, our lives are made different and then are to be lived differently that we might serve him no longer with fear of Herod or anyone else. And really, it's wholehearted, unrestrained, serving this one who saved you and me. And then verses 76 to 80, after mercy made large and mercy revisited, it's mercy illumined or lit up. First of all, our need is brought to light because of John, his title and his job description a prophet of the Most High. He will go on before the Lord and prepare his ways. And he's quoting um, Isaiah. He's quoting Malachi. He's letting us know this is the one that God talked about who would run before him. He would be the introducer of the light of the world. And he will bring to us the need for, it's what John the Baptist was constantly preaching, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Um, and they were being baptized in anticipation of the one who would forgive their sins. He's saying it's not just the world that's dark. We, it's, it starts here, and we are in need of a Savior, and God has promised him. That was John's job. Malachi 3.1, write it down. You can look at it later. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek. Uh, and the Lord the, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi 4, 5, and 6, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. John's life was arranged around fulfilling God's purpose for him and his generation, and his role was very unique. Yet we're all like John as his ambassadors. We are to point people to Jesus Christ, the light. So not only is, it, um, is his mercy uh, illumined for us, our need for a Savior through John, but it's embodied in Jesus. He calls him the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. He'll shine light in darkness. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of rescue, the light of guidance. He is the life-giving light to those in darkness and are headed toward death. As I said, we're going to sing this in a moment. Malachi 4.2, right before the job description for John. Malachi 4.2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, full of joy and vitality because of the sunrise on high bringing healing. Well, so what? It's quite a thick passage, Congratulations, you've covered the most ground many of us have ever covered in any study at all. 
That's, there's a lot here, but I make that observation about mercy. Mercy made large, mercy revisited, and mercy lit up to just help us mentally. So what is God made large his mercy through the veiled glory visit of the sunrise on high? He visited us as sun and sunrise, as sovereign and savior, as liberator and light to rescue and to guide and that brings us really to the second observation, verses 72 and 74. Look at verse 72. This is Zacharias remembering God's faithfulness to his promises to David and Abraham, etc. Verse 72, to show mercy, there's mercy again, toward our fathers, really meaning our entire heritage and us as his people, and to remember his holy covenant. Go to the last slide. The Lord remembers, we respond. Here's, here's why this is the so what. The name Zacharias from the Hebrew means the Lord remembers. Don't think it's an accident that his parents named him that, nor that God decided to turn on the lights in the dark world in a dark moment when people would wonder, are we forgotten? Are we forsaken? And then to add to it his own personal, he and Elizabeth's personal struggle. We don't have a child. Do you care? Zacharias, the Lord remembers. Elizabeth. It means the covenant of God or the oath of God or oath-keeping God. Just, just listen to their names. The Lord remembers his covenant. The Lord remembers his covenant. What does verse 72 say? Zacharias is saying, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Who are we? But the Lord remembers his covenant. John, what does it mean? The Lord is gracious or grace. He doesn't remember his covenant because his people were faithful, but because he's faithful to the nth degree, and he is gracious, meaning we don't merit any relationship with him. Yet he pierced the darkness with his own person when the sunrise on high came to visit in a veiled glory visit, but one day he will return in all his glory. It'll be a second advent. And if we belong to him, we can serve him without fear now and in anticipation of that moment because it has nothing to do with us, but his mercy made large in Jesus is available to every single one of us. And his mercy made, tailor-made for you in your moment of ache and pain, disillusionment, disappointment right now is available. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new this morning, no matter how you woke up. If you woke up irritated, pained, feeling like nothing is ever gonna turn around, his mercy can meet that moment, and it was made today for you and for me. So his mercy made large, revisited, and he wants his mercy also refracted. John's the introducer to the light. God is the one turning on the lights by bringing John, who will then introduce his son, who is the light of the world. But Jesus always intended, he, Jesus isn't visible right now. 
And yet he told his own disciples, and he tells us, if we belong to him, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. He wants his light to be refracted. He wants his mercy that's made large in him, made in doceable, relatable, compassionate ways through you and me. question is, is my response to him one of wonder and awe, receiving his mercy made large for me? And for those of us who've trusted Christ as our Savior, how is his mercy going to be refracted through your life this week, this season? You know, the world, I say this often, but during Christmas, though the malls are pretty much going away, you can still go in some stores and you'll hear they're singing our songs. Yes, you have to endure the, the beating of that Paul McCartney song, whatever that one is. Dun, 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 dun. I just wanted to irritate you for a second. Or Mariah Carey, like some of y'all, that's your favorite song, whatever. But that you will also hear Silent Night, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The world is singing our songs, and they don't even realize it. But they do know their own personal disappointment. They do know that our world is not the way it should be, and it's quite dark, and often they get trapped in that, or they're contributing to it, or they're tripping themselves up and sabotaging life as it is intended to be. They could use some light. They could use some peace. They could use some hope. And God intends for that hope to be refracted through you, that peace to be refracted through me, that mercy that was made large, Again, to be portable, to be in the moment visible through you and through me, being compassionate. If you're here and you've never understood what Christmas is about, you've never quite fully understood that in order for us to be in relationship with God, you can't clean yourself up. You can't come to this church or any church enough times to kind of, well, you now pass the good versus bad categories. That's not God's category. He says, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the relationship between John and Jesus, we'll see more as we go through Luke 1 and 2. He gives us a great picture of John. Boy, he is, he's, done great. he's going to do well in the sight of the Lord. People are going to rejoice at him, etc. But Luke is very careful. To, and Jesus super, uh, is superior to that. His birth is superior. His purpose is superior. Because John was only, he's, as he says later in, his, in the Gospels, I've got to decrease so that he might increase. I've got to dim my light so his light is brighter. And the invitation to you and me, or to you if you've never trusted Jesus, is to receive his mercy made large for you. All you've got to do is tell God, yep, not only are things not the way they're supposed to be, I know I'm not. And I get it that because of my sin, I really can't be and shouldn't be in relationship with you. But I thank you, Jesus, that you took my place on the cross. Meeting you in your personal need to continue to roll forward his gathering together for himself, a people of his own possession. And he wants you to hear his call and invitation for you to be part of his people. But again, it's not through church attendance or who your family is. It's through you personally trusting Jesus as Savior, as John not John the Baptist would say, but in John's Gospel 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, this is Jesus talking, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And so receive his mercy made large and let us as a people refract his mercy in unrestrained joy, 
light-giving service. It's what Romans 12.1 says. It's not, therefore, because you guys are pretty good people, do some stuff. It's, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Or let your light so shine before men and women that they would see your good works refracting his light and mercy and glorify your Father in heaven. We've got some some examples even right in front of us this week. Our students are going to go refract his mercy by, they've been collecting donations, bringing donations. You're welcome to still bring some. Just grab Jacob, say, hey, we want to, and we want to help the students provide more for our neighbors. They're just going to bless our neighbors in need. They're just being available to refract his mercy. And I think, and the hope would be in the midst of doing that, it's not to shine a light on them, but in the midst of that, they might catch glimpses of his mercy again and be reminded of the mercy in their own lives. Um, also, 301, the apartments, our neighbors right to the north, that we've tried to do several things to begin to build that relationship there and be available. Um, evidently, Mike and Meredith Holmes were such stars at our trunk or treat that they've been invited for a revisit as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Now, those of you who are worried, like, that's not the true story of Christmas. It's just a costume, okay? Mike is not really Santa. No. <laughs> but it's really cool that God made that one little next step for some families, and we've already had some families say, yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to bring my kids. And, uh, and just, again, a ways to show God's love just by being available and present. It's his mercy that makes possible serving without fear. Would the worship team come up? We're going to sing in closing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, <coughs> I'm not here to rank Christmas carols. I like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I like, there's several, but this one, you can't call this one shallow. And I hope that as we sing these words, you hear Malachi and Luke as we join our voice with Zacharias's and Elizabeth's and those people about the sunrise on high who came risen with healing in his wings. And personally, as we're singing this, remember, he didn't just come to do that global thing. He also came for you and for me. So let's stand as a way to honor, rehearse the truths that we've read and studied, and then leave here worshiping the God who made his mercy large.